we work real hard on our company culture in promoting people from within and trying to, to acknowledge their goals and to, to help raise the level and move them into positions. I don't think a company can actually grow unless they're recruiting people that want to grow within the company, improve themselves, and achieve higher, higher marks, higher limits. I don't throw darts up for you, but I assure things. We Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I have Lyle and Taylor out of Denver, Colorado. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. All right. So we've known each other for quite some time now. I've been able to kind of witness y'all's journey in residential property management. But for those that don't know, give us some background on yourselves and the company. Go ahead, Taylor. All right. So um, I have been a part of our company full time for about five years. I grew up in the company. I spent a lot of Saturdays doing showings and late night phone calls of after hours emergencies. To be honest, never in my wildest dreams that I would work in this industry. I will be Who quoted. does, right? Yeah, who does? Yeah. <laughs> yes, quoted many times saying I hate my parents' job. Um, but went to college, went to business school. I did some campus, off-campus housing in college. Kind of liked it, got my feet wet. and then. Lyle, founder, how do you, how do you get into the industry? You know, it's interesting. I've, I've always had roots in real estate. I started with Procter & Gamble out of college, and I just felt like there was more. There was more. And I was thinking if... Parker & Gamble's making money off my efforts. What if I gave all my efforts to something I'm trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and just, just to me and my goals? And so uh, I, I got into real estate in 1983, uh, sold lots and lots of homes and enjoyed that. But quite honestly, it wasn't that fulfilling. Then a partner in real estate, he and I created a, a chain of retail sign stores. And, and uh, we did that for a while. Then we, we closed that down. And then I went into uh, the mortgage business. Had a very successful mortgage company until the big 2008, when all of us had to- The meltdown. The huge meltdown. And it melted us down. So I'll tell you the story. And so I finally, as people were leaving and it was melting down, I walked down the hall and my wife and I always have opposite, uh, offices opposite each other in, in distance. And I walked down, she had tears in her eyes. I said, I said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, it is so negative and depressing. She said, it's driving me crazy. I said, you know what? It's time to pack your bags and let's go home. She said, but what will we do? What will we do? And I said, leave that to me. We'll figure it out. So we did. We packed up our personal things from the office and we moved home. And I started researching different industries. And believe it or not, I was, in, I was looking at waste disposal. Yes. At the same time, we're looking at uh, property management and I had just so much experience in property management. I wanted to figure out where I wanted to go. So in a nutshell, I did the, uh, the analytics on it and I said, you know what? I need to get on a plane, made a decision. I flew to Phoenix to a NARPM conference and I walked around and people kept asking me, how many doors do you manage? And I said, I don't manage doors. Well, then what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm trying to determine if I want to go into property management. So I'm, I'm really looking at you right now. And so to this day, I still remember the reactions. But anyway, That's I came wild. Back. What a wild way to start. You went straight to NARPM. A lot of folks like discover yeah. NARPM like 10 yeah. years in, like, oh, I wish I had found out sooner. Like you showed up before you were even in the business. Yeah, showed up. So I came home and uh, Paula said, my wife Paula said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to property management. And she said, 
okay. And I said, in fact, I already booked your trip. You're on your way to Dallas right now to learn our software. So, <laughs> so that's how it started. And, uh, and quite honestly, we just um, initially, you know, we wanted to see who was doing it right and what the pieces and parts were to make it to create a successful company. But deep down, the reason why we did this is because through our research, there were so many mom and pop shops out there. There was a real need for a sophisticated approach in a big company mentality. So although we're a family, we went into this with the approach that we're a business. We're going to be a big business. And this is how we start off. So we started that way and we've grown and just living the life. We enjoy it. So in case it wasn't obvious to anybody listening, you guys are father and daughter working together in the business. So you have that family dynamic going, but for obviously for the majority of the time that you were doing it, that wasn't necessarily the case. Talk to me a little bit about kind of maintaining and building that, that family dynamic. You have other people in the office. I've worked in environments where there was a couple of people that were related. How do you navigate some of those family dynamics in the office? Well, I, Taylor has her opinion, and I want to hear it, and I'm sure she'll share it. But uh, we, we made a promise to each other in the beginning that we understood very clearly that nobody wants to work in an environment where there's this family personal bickering and issues and, and things you drag to work. It just makes people so uncomfortable. So we both made a promise to each other that, boy, when we open that door and we cross that threshold, it's all business. And we refer to each other di differently. And it's nothing about um, what happened on the way or, or personal things. And so we have maintained that extremely successful. Otherwise, I don't think we could grow and have people that want to stay with us. So it was from the very beginning, and we still do that. And since my daughter has been brought into the company, and uh, I usually refer to her as Taylor instead of my daughter, well, she's maintained that as well. So what's, what's your version, Taylor? Yeah, absolutely. For for me, this is a career. It's not a mm -hmm, job. Mm -hmm. So I look mm. at it at that kind of next high level. When I went to college, I told my parents I wanted to make a lot of money because I wanted to have red bottom Prada sold shoes. <laughs> so I wanted a career that could get me there. So yeah. for me, I treat it just like a career. I don't want anybody to think that I have special opportunities or it was easy for me. Being in a family owned and operated business, you know, everybody thinks that you know, it's so easy. Your parents are there. They'll get you anything you want. Definitely not the case. And being the daughter of the boss, you have so much to prove because there is so much pressure to prove that you're not just having everything handed to you. So you work so hard to get there and to have all that opportunity that you earned. Um, and so, yeah, very professional in our office. We refer to each other as Lyle and Taylor. Sometimes when we hire new employees, they don't even know that we're related until a few months in. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And so that dynamic in terms of how it plays out day to day, what is your role within the company? Yes. So my primary function is business development. Um, so I really focus on growing the business, collaborating with our marketing team to, you know, they bring on the leads and I work to close them. And then a lot of what I do is customer or client success. So when we do have owners, you know, reaching out, seeing how we can improve. If someone's maybe not having the great experience, you know, having that personal conversation with them to see how we can keep them to stay improving there. And then I do a little bit of operations as well and making sure that our company is growing to the next level. Being first generation and second generation, there's a lot of valuable stuff that Lyle and Paula created initially, but being new and fresh, I have new ideas and 
stuff that I like to bring to the table. So making sure our company is growing, not only in size, but in efficiency, opportunity, and innovation. So you're oh, on, wait a minute. Are you taking credit for our company growing? <laughs> Did I hear that right now? <laughs> well, let's let, her, let's let her keep doing it and run, <laughs> yeah. run in with it. Tell, tell me about that. How is growth going? What's current door count? What, what are you guys adding monthly, yearly? Yeah, so right now we're at about 850 doors. Um, we have year-to-date grew by almost 250 this year so it's far. impressive. Yes, so we are in major growth mode. Um, when I first started five years ago, we had like 400 units. It was like me and Paula and one other employee. The three of us would hang out in the office every day. Now we have 20 employees. So we're growing and stuff like that. And business is going really, really well. We have a group of people that are there to have fun and work hard. And we're implementing a bunch of technology to help bring us to that next level. And so it's a lot of fun. Tell Jordan about your first experiences being at BDM. Yes. So in classic family-owned company status, my dad's like, hey, you know what? You've been doing really great. I think I'm going to have you start you know, talking to people that are interested in our services. I'm like, all right, cool. So we get our first new lead call, right? Haven't done this ever before. My dad's not the greatest trainer. He's like, I'm going to lunch. Don't forget our monthly management fee is 10%. You got this and left. And that was my whole training experience. <laughs> you got the 10% right. You have got that. True story. <laughs> yep. And how'd the call go? <laughs> well, I signed him up, to be honest with you. They had bed bugs, they had a squatter, and he was past due on rent, but nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Got him in the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a great, great close. Great close. <laughs> uh, so, La, one thing I've enjoyed in my conversations with you is that you have been really persistent and you've been willing to innovate over time. I observe different people have differing identities around change and growth and how much change they can tolerate. And I've observed that you have the constitution to tolerate quite a bit of change on the sales and marketing piece to get to this point where you're adding 250 doors a year. That's pretty aggressive. When I hear that, I hear infrastructure. I know that that wasn't a, an ebook that you bought on how to grow your property management business or a piece of software. That's a totality of a lot of trial and failure to get to this point. What do you have to say about the the work that was done and required to get to this point where now you can actually be experiencing and absorbing that kind of growth? Well, I'll be honest with you. With every entrepreneur who creates a company, there's a time when, when they need to step back and allow other people to exercise that creativity and take it where they left off. And I, and I recognize that. And when I recognize that, a light went on. And, and there's no turning back. Uh, now that I've stepped back and I serve more as a visionary and a, as an advisor to our company, um, younger, younger thoughts, people familiar with software that I'm unfamiliar with, and, and a new thought process has been injected into our company. And so that, that's one thing I've done. The other thing is we work real hard on our company culture and promoting people from within and trying to, to acknowledge their goals and to, to help raise the level and move them into positions. I don't think a company can actually grow unless they're recruiting people that want to grow within the company, improve themselves, and achieve higher, higher marks, higher limits. And so 
stepping back enabled me to do that, not to be so caught up in it, and allow these new technologies, new things to take take place. And and I got to tell you, it was the best thing I ever did is get out of the day to day. Well, this is really interesting. What you're saying is, the more you pulled back, the more com- the company was growing. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Correlation, and- causation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. That's just, I, I don't hear yeah. that often. Oh yeah. Oh no question. And the more I continue to pull back, I believe the the greater the positive results are going to be because I get to leave lead from a different level. I'm always looking for the opportunities. I'm looking for the unknowns. I'm looking for the game changers and the and the disruptors. And so. I like that best. If I can start working on that and working on expansion and going to new markets and looking, that's that's really affecting us dramatically. Let's talk about delegation versus abdication. A lot of people mm-hmm. would, would say, yeah, Lyle, I'd love to leave and have the business grow. What was the infrastructure that you put in place that gave you permission and allowed you to get that kind of a positive response from moving back as a precursor to being able to step back a bit? I think, and, and I'm going to go ahead and give my daughter credit, uh, Paul, uh, Taylor, you know, first name basis here, you know, Taylor credit for what, what, what she deserves. Taylor took all that she learned about, um, there's so many things to discuss here, but, but the attitude, the, the drive and everything she grew up with, and she had an opportunity to jump in now and to put that in play, plus... Taylor is Taylor. She's dynamic. She's aggressive. And she wants to bring so much into the company in the way of automation and systems that I just, I sat and sat back. I stood back and watched it happen. And she started deploying all of this and bringing the pieces and the players in. You know, recruiting is very serious. And we, and we take that very seriously. And, and all of us are involved at that at some point, some level. But I think along with allowing uh, Taylor to break free, allowing t- uh, Paula t- to achieve new goals for herself, she's always been our bookkeeper and we rely on that and she signs all our checks. But but also she went into a new position as an integrator. So if, if, if Paula becomes the integrator, Taylor is the implementer and we're, we're all managing different pieces of business. I manage everything sales related and marketing, the marketing team, the real estate team, and the BDM department. Taylor manages the leasing department, you know, her, her share of the BDMs and what else? That's pretty good. And then, <laughs> and then Paula manages, really honestly, the, the property managers report to Paula ultimately. And then and that's kind of how we're structured. And we created, uh, this is so much to throw out there. But we've created pods within all that with teams. So, so to answer your question, I, I stepped back and we focused on our culture, our hiring is the best people we could. We have several people. Most of our team has college degrees, if that means anything. Some of them have secondary degrees and, and experience. And that's what we look for. But more than that, we look for a cultural fit. And then people prosper. So Taylor, when you came into the business, you obviously, you have this sense that this could be yours. If you do it well, I mean, obviously I assume that wasn't a given, right? Your parents weren't going to let you run into the ground. But if you ran it well, that's a dream scenario to have an obvious succession plan with family. What was your approach coming in knowing that there was a learning curve? It's this weird dichotomy of on the one hand, 
you probably do have a bit more latitude than somebody else might in your situation. On the other hand, you're having to learn the thing. What did that balance of both having patience to really earn your spurs and learn while also having that fresh set of eyes and probably seeing certain levels of like obvious dysfunction that you just wanted to change from day one? How did you navigate that? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said earlier, I in college worked for off-campus housing. So I worked for a huge corporate company that manages hundreds of thousands of apartment units across the country. So I came from it where they just told us top down exactly what we need to do. And I enjoyed it. And so my parents were like, hey, you know, why don't you work for us this year? See what you think and then go from there. So coming into it, you know, it was a huge shift from more of the multifamily to single family. So I spent just a lot of time kind of learning and soaking it in and understanding. And, you know, a lot of what we focus on in our business is, you know, the cheesy stuff, best practices, like limiting liability and risk. So really learning from there and then going through stuff and realizing, you know, there's a better way to do this. We bump heads occasionally. We're very similar. To be expected. Yes. The two of us are extremely similar in personalities. Ego occasionally shows its face Mm -hmm. here and there. So a lot, the two of us uh, had a lot of challenges initially of, you know, being Mm -hmm. excited, coming out of college. This is what I learned. This is what we have to do. And him Mm -hmm. saying like, but this works. Mm -hmm. So there Mm. was a lot of Mm. growing between the two of us of, you know, appreciating everything that Paul and Lyle had done where we've been, but understanding like the fresh set of eyes. And that's what I brought in because I didn't know a ton about it. I was like, but why aren't we doing this? I don't understand. And then kind of learning and working together in that way. So it took a little bit of time. As you know me, I'm not very shy. So it definitely popped my my opinions out there sooner than later. But... (laughs) You know, one of the things we were talking about last night was this distinction between family, viewing the company and the organization as a family, which is like, it's a great feeling. I I see why people gravitate to that. There's a lot of warm fuzzies there versus a sports team, a high performing organization with a goal in mind, a path to get there and a high degree of scrutiny around all decisions through the lens of, is this going to advance that goal? In our conversation, you guys identified that you identify as a sports team rather than the family metaphor. That's something that's deeply meaningful to me as well. When you facilitate that conversation with your team, what do those internal communications look like, specifically around this metaphor of being a sports team trying to win a championship? You know, I know one of the things we said that... that that you enjoyed hearing last night. And and we're not really a sports team. Um, we don't talk much about the sports team. And I, and I, th- I thought about the Super Bowl one time and it just makes, made so much sense to me that, that I, I I'm trying to use this in a way that that's, um, that's positive. Unfortunately, one of the metaphors we used was, uh, with 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 folks that are just not pulling their weight, it's during a discussion about their performance, mm-hmm. and um, we just we make it very clear if 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 it's needed that we're going to the Super Bowl, and that you may some be, of you will be coming. Yeah, you may not be on the bus, and and we've told people that, and so they identify with that. So it's a metaphor that worked and continues to work, but. But they understand, they see the vision where we're going. And, and when we say we're going to the Super Bowl and you may not be on the bus, that's kind of a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. And 
That's about the only sports metaphor we use. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's when it comes up. Really disciplinary. Got it. Okay. Good, good to know. Well, I mean, the truth is you don't cut family members, right? I mean, family members don't get cut, I guess, in rare circumstances. Oh, no. They do. But generally speaking, you know, that, that weird aunt or uncle, they're, they're sticking around, you know? <laughs> like, I have fired my mother-in-law twice. <laughs> wow. True story. True story. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> we won't we go there, but yeah, I won't want to imagine yeah. that. That sounds like a lot. Um, you had to let, let her know there wasn't a seat on the bus for her anymore. Oh, heading oh, to the no. stadium. No, or sitting on the floor near the door. <laughs> yeah, she was not going with us. <laughs> well, that analogy it, it works for yeah. me, and it is clarifying, and it can be sterile. You know, you talked about it in the scenario where you have to have a hard conversation. And that feels totally fair to me to communicate. There is a standard and a common goal shared amongst us. I want to win the Super Bowl and I want you to, too. That, you know, who wins the Super Bowl? Is it, is it this, the franchise owner? Is it, is it Jerry Jones? Is it Mark Cuban? It's the players, mm -hmm. the players on the court, on the field. They're the ones that walk away with the ring. And the, the commitment that they make to one another is that they're willing to have an honest conversation, assessing their skill and ability at all times and saying, am I the right person? And if I'm not, I may have to move to a different seat. And it's just kind of, it's implicit in a high performance environment. Now, the condition there is the possibility of winning a championship. That, that idea of what I just articulated, it doesn't really work if you're at 100 doors and you don't plan on ever growing beyond 100 doors. It's kind of like, well, we're not, we're, you know, you, you have all the ruthlessness, but none of the upside of actually winning a championship. You guys are now growing. You're adding headcount. What is the, the destination? When you think about where you're wanting to take it, what, what are you aiming for over the next three or four years? That's interesting. And I'll, I'll start that off and then uh, Taylor can chime in. You know, with, with every new venture, with the creation, an entrepreneur always plans the entrance. You want to plan the entrance and you want to plan the exit. So while I built our company, you know, with the, with the exit in mind and timing, and t timing's wonderful right now if we, if we wanted to get out, okay? But all of a sudden when uh, Taylor became so interested in, in working to earn, earn an interest in the company and to buy a, an interest in the company, all of a sudden it completely tweaked my paradigm. I'm not working to uh, sell the company. I'm not looking for that. that, that Big company. exit. Not looking for it. But what I'm looking for now is the dynamic growth, and, and that's what drives me and, and, and what interests me. So that, that needs to be clarified because I think that's so critical. It was, it was a huge paradigm. It didn't shift. It didn't happen overnight. But now it's, it's fascinating. It's fun. And it drives me. So, Jordan, what was the rest of your question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting lost in it, in it myself here. It's really, where, do you, where are you trying to take things now? Okay. So you have this continuity plan okay. in place. You're clearly not dying to get out of the business. Okay. Where does that put you now? Okay. We want to be the, the absolutely highest performing, most exhaustive service provider in the property management industry in the state of Colorado. And at, that is our goal. And, and while there's a, there are a lot of people coming into our market and a lot of jumping around and shifting within the market, we have a, 
we have a foothold. We have a dynamic group of owners that appreciates us and wants to grow with us. And, and we're doing the right things. So while we're here at this conference, we're not just looking for, for lack of anything trivial to say, what fee I can implement. We're way beyond implementation of fees. We're looking at, at expansion opportun opportunities while we're here, but we're looking at automation. We're looking at what are things we can do to be the very, very best and supply that service that's outstanding in our market. And as long as we continue to do that, we'll continue to thrive. So to round that up, we, we plan on being the top-end provider for the state of Colorado. Right now, we're located and we have a business in Fort Collins, the Denver metro area, and we've just branched into Colorado Springs and a little bit into Pueblo. We are we are working throughout the front range. We're, we're working on penetration right now in those areas. And how about you? What's your vision, Taylor? To be honest with you, it's just up. There's not a magic number in mind of how large we want to get to, a number of employees or anything like that. Right now, we're just so excited with the idea of you know, organic growth. Obviously, a huge uh, top of a discussion in our industry is acquisitions mm -hmm. and purchasing. Mm -hmm. That's not at all in our goals. We really want to generate these leads organically, convert them so that we have people that sign up with our services because they love us. So our goal is just to keep going until maybe that magic number comes into play. But like Lyle said, providing wow service, going Exhausted. above and beyond mm -hmm. everybody else. Well, let's talk blocking and tackling with growth. First, let's break down the strategy, channel strategy. Where is new business coming from right now? What channels are dominant for you guys? Uh, from the internet, I spend a tremendous amount of money on marketing and um Okay, on marketing, I have a full-fledged marketing team within our company that... How, how many folks? Uh, I have two and a half on payroll, and then we work with somebody on a full-time basis in, in Afghanistan and, and other places. That all they do is marketing. That's it. Wow, that's, that's a beefier effort than most folks have. Most folks have nobody in a full-time marketing capacity, which kills me because my hard skill is marketing. As an entrepreneur, you kind of got to do it all, but everybody has kind of a core hard skill, whether it be finance, ops, whatever, mine is marketing. Marketing almost always gets the short end of the stick. And for property managers that want to grow, who do they hire? They hire a salesperson which is interesting because oftentimes if they don't have any lead gen, they're expecting that salesperson to do outbound. And that is a tough row to hoe mm -hmm. to generate all your own deals as opposed to following up and closing on inbound leads that are already coming. What types of activities do you have the marketing team engaging in to, to produce the lead gen that is allowing you to grow 250 units in a year? We have an active social marketing uh, campaign that I really don't give too much credit to in our particular situations. Uh, social marketing hasn't really generated uh, conversionable leads for us. We work with, I, I dump a tremendous amount of money in our website and web pages, and also uh, we do Google ads and um, not often though, I want to make this real clear. We don't do a lot of Google ads because that's paying for those, the, that lead generation where I wanted organic. And this started 15 years ago. This isn't something that I think somebody can go out and, and I don't, I don't know if you threw big money at something like this, if you could just go out and buy, you know, first or second spot on Google, I don't think so. 
Okay. But 15 years ago, I, I knew this because my background, Jordan, is marketing also mm-hmm. and graduated with a marketing degree. And so we started way back working on our website and we continued to improve our website over the years and bring in more talented people and expand. I think we have I, at least 300 pages on our website and, and this team runs analytics on a daily and they're constantly tweaking and they're very aware of uh, when Google's, you know, doing a sweep and the bots and I, I just got an incredible team working on this. I'm very fortunate. Bryn here from Lead Simple. I love Lead Simple, but that feels like a given. Instead of telling you why I love it, here's Sarah Hatch from Hatch Property Management. We're very happy and I recommend so many people to Lead Simple because I'm like, oh my gosh, it changed our world. <laughs> it's totally changed our whole way of uh, managing properties and staying in contact. It's the best business investment I've ever made. To learn more and connect with one of my teammates, go to leadsimple.com slash podcast today. So you built that infrastructure on the marketing side. What about on the sales side? Are you the sole BDM? There are multiple BDMs. Yes. So we have two BDMs. So originally it was just myself. And then we had um, a marketing assistant in our company that ended up being the right personality that we promoted to being a BDM. And so we were BDMs together. We worked with Lyle. We kind of self-trained, went through objections. But really Mm -hmm. what helped us to make the big difference, I'll give all of the credit to Renscale, is they helped us develop a playbook you know, as a salesperson, you're like, there's 300 objections. You know, how do you handle this? How do you handle this? And Jeremy Pound would always say, well, is it an objection to price, service offering, you know, like honing that Mm. in to be what it was to simplify it? Mm. Because I don't have a sales background. Our other BAM doesn't have a sales background. So it was very new for us. So we worked with Renscale to generate the playbook. We got really good at it. And then what really clicked for us as BDMs is confidence. You know, We do get occasionally asked, Renee is my teammate, on, you know, how are you closing so many deals? What are you guys doing? And yes, we did train. We had resources that helped us get there. But there was a point in time where it was just like confidence. You know, you're closing deals. You're feeling you're doing good at it. You're building relationships. The conversion rate is growing. That it was just really that confidence. It's maturity in the industry. Yeah. And and coaching. I think that really kicked off our BDM team. Uh, coaching from day one, this is another example of where I step back. You know, I personally feel like I could sell, I could sell ice to Eskimos. I feel real confident about that and I, and I can, mm-hmm. but, but things are a little different. And so when I surrendered, I'm going to say surrendered because that's something I hold close to me is sales and marketing. When I surrendered to an outside coach, we also saw results from that too. You know, I, you make a really interesting point. You being in that sales role is the same thing as me being in the sales role. And I am very open and acknowledging my sales team that that's cheating because I'm me. I'm the owner. I'm not working with the same kind of constraints that my sales guy has. He can't flex up and say, yeah, it's my company. I'm the owner. Did you see me on the podcast? Did you see me speaking on stage? Would you like to buy? He can't do that. (laughs) And that's where real scalable sales begins is training that is transferable and can be equipped to somebody that doesn't have that unique advantage that I have. So I love the the shout out to, to Jeremy and the rent scale crew. That makes a ton of sense. In terms of where you're at right now, just managing the leads, what kind of volume are you dealing with on a monthly basis? How many leads, how many valid leads come in ballpark? Ballpark. Uh, 
qualified leads, we get about 25 a week. About 25 a week. Mm -hmm. That's some solid lead flow. And this is this this is where this interesting conversation comes into play, where folks want to hire a salesperson and they don't have any leads. And they feel like it's the same thing as having two salespeople in your situation. Well, Lyle has two salespeople. I want two salespeople. Well, how many leads do you have? Completely different paradigm asking somebody to cold prospect and do outbound. And really what's interesting is oftentimes I'll talk to owners that are like 300 doors and they say, you know, I'm stuck. I don't know how to grow my business. And my first thought is, well, how'd you get the first 300 doors? Mm -hmm. And the answer is I did a bunch of things I'm no longer willing to do. Absolutely. <laughs> you, know? you, did, you nailed it. I was at a, I was a speaker at a, a NARPA meeting recently and everybody was asking the quote for experts on the stage questions. So I said, okay. You know, I'm going to take the mic and I'm going to start asking you questions. And I said, I know who's on page one and two and three on Google. I know who they are and where they are in the room. I said, those are inbound leads. And I said, I know exactly who they are. And I said, however, there are a lot of successful people in the room. How did you, how did you generate those leads? How did you go get those leads? How, how did you get to where you are? And so I started calling people out. So that's when those things that you just mentioned, Jordan, the things that people are not willing to do now, maybe they are 200, 300, you started hearing all those. And so, and so suddenly people's eyes started lighting out because I know about the incoming, they're out there getting, they're out there getting them on their own. So you just said that. It was kind of like people are looking at each other like, well, maybe I should do that now because they're struggling for business. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. That flywheel though, the marketing flywheel, that takes time. You want to spin that up, you're going to spend a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I've always said the most expensive question that you can ask is, how do I grow my business? That is a very, very expensive question. That is the naive question that uh, that introduces a vendor that's like, well, you sound like you need the quarter million dollar package <laughs> here. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you ask a more tactical question, like I remember one time hiring a vendor to do link building from .edu and .gov websites. So this is within the domain of SEO. Yep. And this is link building. And this is link building from high authority domains. Incredibly narrow. So it was really easy for me to judge the success of that. I was owning the totality of the outcome mm -hmm. and I was asking for something tactical as opposed to how do I grow my business? You, there's a certain level of, of effort and get up that you have to be willing to apply. And in many cases, writing the check is the easiest part. Agree? Absolutely. I, in my case, um, marketing is, is what I enjoy the most. So I have three times a week, I have an early morning SEO meeting and we covered different things in those meetings about the business. I also have my team working on a, a different business and another SEO business. But, but we stay on task. We analyze exactly what's going on. We, we talk about where we're going to flex and what we're going to do, but that's right. It's writing the check, but you, but also understanding, um, what you're trying to, what you're trying to achieve and the cost, you know, I mentioned to you that I have two and a half people full time, you know, two full and a half time employee in the company. That's one check I'm involved in all kinds of things across the internet that I write checks for. And so I, as I told that, that group, the meeting, 
last week. I don't think if you really plan on staying in business and you want to, you truly want to grow your business, you understand what it means to grow. You can't invest enough money in marketing. You have to commit to the money and it's not a month. It's not two months. It's year after year you commit to it because it's only going to grow in, in increments. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and I, that was my advice to the group commit to it. And, and, you know, the interesting part is that it's not just the check. It's it's the owner involvement. You know, yep. you take personal interest and I see that making such a big difference as a folks as opposed to folks that want to cut a check. And the act of cutting the check is kind of like their way of getting out of it. Like, yep. I, I, I paid so-and-so. What's going on? I don't know. But I cut him a check. Like, it's their problem now. It's their, I mean, rarely, rarely does that work out as opposed to, again, Doing the work, understanding the context, having a specific need, and hiring a vendor for a specific tactical pain point. You know what? Just want to, I'll, I'll add something to that, Jordan. I know this is your show, but I want to add to that. Please. Okay. That um, I'm often asked by a lot of my buds, uh, so what are you doing? What are you doing? I, you know, talk to me so I can do that. And so I start talking to them a little bit, and I can just see their eyes glass over there, and they're looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> And really quickly, I start shifting that, you know, there are fabulous vendors inside that convention room, <laughs> and I'll walk you over to one of them and introduce you because unless you embrace that and you truly understand what you're doing and you enjoy it, yeah, it, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned Renscale, and I think they're a great example because they are enablement. They're not doing lead gen for you. They send to you zero leads each month, mm -hmm. but they will teach you how to fish. And I think that's a really healthy disposition. I think similarly, similarly to make a pivot on the technology side, I've seen you guys adopt an increasing level of technology over time and get a return on that. Technology is one piece of the puzzle. Technology as an idea or as a concept is something that we all get, right? Everybody at this convention understands more technology in the business, modernization, it's very attractive. Where the rubber meets the road is the human effort to resolve the will to actually get to that last mile. When you went through some of the workflow automation transition and transformation recently, what did the last mile look like? for you? How did you get over the final hump to go from having something that was like mostly set up, a lot of useful training people, to like actually getting like actual business value? Yes. So it's team buy-in. So for mm -hmm. me, I learned about automation. You know, Lyle's also super jazzed about automation. We're like pumped. We're so excited. Team, just love it just as much as we do. And they're like, ooh, but that's so much work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, originally we started out kind of stair-stepping it in, you know, having our team members create their own processes and then me going in and reviewing them. And we just found that like the buy-in, it became work, not a benefit. So we kind of tweaked that where, you know, I would generate the processes, the team will go in and use them and use feedback. And the more people started to see the benefits, like, oh my gosh, I don't have to remember that. Or that's an automatic email that's just going out now. Or that's templated. I don't have to spend 15 minutes to write that it started to kind of turn the tables for team buy-in. And our team is so funny. Every time I come to a convention, they're like, oh, God, they're coming back. What are we going to have to do now? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So it's like we get all amped and we're like, staff, just love it. Yeah. Shove it down your yeah. throat and love it, you know? And so for us, it takes 
coddling and nurturing for them to see the big picture like we do. It's making them part of the process too. Yeah. They have to help build it and be part of that process. Like KPIs. A KPI is a number, unless you truly know what it means. Context. I mean, yeah, the context. There you go. So we do a lot with KPIs. And, and, and the part that I saw that really improved our performance was instead of reporting your KPIs, I want you to give me a summary statement of that period of time. And so each one of them has to look at it and interpret that information. They own that information. And then they would report it. And, and along with reporting is receiving. So if they were just throwing stuff at, at the managers to look at and they weren't getting any feedback mm -hmm. or involvement, mm -hmm. it wasn't going to go anywhere. So we get involved with every one of the KPIs that are reported. I have a master sheet that I selected certain things to go into. But it's the thing, same thing with the KPIs and with the systems. It's, it's ownership and it's also set, uh, setting goals based on those, both those items. So did you see any movement or any changes related to the KPIs? Like making the investment that you made in adopting technology automation, did you see any impact on, an, an, on, on any specific KPIs? Yeah, so like Lyle mentioned earlier, I work a lot with BDM and leasing. So with implementing technology, we average about 250 showings a week. So for us, That's we incredible. had mm -hmm. to have, yes, infrastructure and technology in place to make that, that possible. Um, because with that 250 showings, we only have about 20 listings. So we're showing units 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Sunday. And so when we first, you know, started, it required a lot of follow-up from a staff member of, hey, you know, you saw this property, what's your feedback? Or let's get you going on the application. Now, with software that we're using, basically a CRM for leasing, that's just happening automatically. So we're getting feedback without having to ask. Application links are being automatically sent without a staff member being like, hey, I think we had a showing yesterday. Let me send that application. Um, and then, you know, especially with the automation that we've implemented, we receive thousands of leasing phone calls a week that what we created, especially in Lead Simple, is the minute, you know, an application is submitted, it says, thank you so much for your application. Please don't call. We'll call you. Mm -hmm. So that helped to cut down on inbound inquiries just from the tenant side of things. Um, and we found that we weren't missing steps, especially with, you know, moving tenants into properties and onboarding new clients. We were able to put together a flow of automation that they would receive with conditional logic that applied to them so that it felt still personalized, but at these key touch points, mm -hmm. like you had a tenant move in, 90 days later, we're following up with you because we just did a walkthrough of the property. You know, um, after that, we asked for a survey to see how their experience is going, you know, different stuff like that so that it wasn't the mental brain calories, it was automation, but still personalized. We have 18 processes that we built out in our CRM. And we're, we're working real hard in the sales area now to put together a pretty extensive process, real estate sales also. Beautiful. So what about auditability? I, I always think it's interesting transitioning, going from a conversation where you ask a team member, did you do X, Y, Z? And you hope and pray you get a good answer versus just being able to go see if X, Y, Z was actually done. Do you have that level of audibility now in terms of being able to like see tasks completion? Yes. So we have the ability through the software to see what is actually being completed to hold people accountable. But with that, 
you know, Lyle touched on it earlier, our team culture is so on point that everybody wants to participate and contribute and be a part of the A players that, you know, people have the desire to want to succeed and provide results. So, um, you know, we can see it in the software that that stuff is happening, but we also, we do the, the EOS. Um, and so that has really helped to bring our company to the next level as well, because it's, you know, are you on track? Are you off track? You know, going through it as a group to make sure everybody's on target as You well. were looking for audit, right? Yeah. How do we know? Oh. Mm -hmm. So explain a little bit about, that. no, no, this is yours. Okay, you take this. <laughs> How do we know? Okay, and, and one of the, I want to point out one thing. When you've got this much going on and and our, our business is, is so fee-based from a $10 fee to a... Yes. Okay. So we have all these little fees that are part of what drives the big picture. So my question for everybody is, are we getting those fees? Collecting the money. Collect the money. Yeah, we collecting the money. And then is it is it correctly being put into bookkeeping? Mm -hmm. You know, the whole process is very extensive. So... So the audit, let's just talk about leasing the audit, auditability, <laughs> you know, you can look at it, we can look at it, we can analyze where things are and what steps and if it's been done correctly, because we, we're, I don't know what the words are, in, but we're like the end user, so mm -hmm. to speak. And so we, we review those numbers constantly to make sure. I think that in terms of making this transition with technology, what sticks out to me, obviously we talked about buy-in, that's huge. Connecting your core values, your business operating philosophy, and embedding that in the systems and the technology so that it doesn't become just an efficiency game. Big believer in efficiency, like making money, profits, where the money comes from. But there has to be a core philosophy that is driving and kept at the forefront as we're building all of these systems. So it's not just purely an engineering and logistics game. What does that look like for you? How do you, how do you make sure that the spirit of the company is preserved as you're adding all of this technology and you don't get too distanced from, from the front lines? So that, that's a discussion about culture, right? Is that okay? Mm -hmm. And so um, with culture, I did a, an interesting analysis I thought, I know what we want to say our culture is and what we want to project, but it's words to somebody else. And unless those words are embraced and, and, and we're living it and they're living it, it means nothing. It's just like so many of the websites out there. We all say a lot of the same stuff. So, so I took, it was at least, at least 300 reviews, good and bad. And I created an Excel spreadsheet. Actually, I was on a whiteboard. And I had everybody reading the reviews. And every time an adjective came up about uh, caring, communicative, responsive. responsive, I would write it down and put a check mark on it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's real interesting as we, as we develop these core values. And we are caring, communicative. We're family. And boom, boom, boom. <clears throat> we have five core values. But as we develop these, I want to make sure that we're living it so the best way, the best way to understand if you're living your core values is what are people saying about you? Mm -hmm. So we're constantly analyzing them. In mm. fact, we have it keyworded so that when they come up, we see them in red. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's really fun how we're doing this. So that's what we did. And so that's how we analyze what people out, outside are really thinking about us as a, as a company. And if we're on target with our core values, I can't think of a better way. And so we use those core values, and I'm just telling everybody how to go get your business now. But we use those core values in, in how we discuss things with our, with our customers because that's absolutely what they're looking for. And, um, 
And if you aren't those, I wouldn't suggest trying to use them. But if you mm. are those mm. and you emulate that and you bring that in. So a core value is hardworking. And uh, along with caring, communicative, hardworking, and family, the hardworking aspect is we're, we're all hardworking and we thrive on other hardworking people. And I'm not saying my people work 80 hours. In fact, I would be very unhappy and disappointed if that was going on. And, and that's a reflection on me as an employer. And I want people to, to have great, fun lives after work and to turn the phones off at five o'clock and get, in, get on with life. But, but hardworking while you're there, being a performer and producing results. It's all about results, not activity. We focus on results. Mm. Mm. I love that. I've heard it said that your brand is the sum of emotions that are felt when your name comes up. Oh my God, I love that. It's not what you want to say about yourself. Yeah. It's not your collateral. It's not yeah. your color. It's not your logo. How it's, do you feel? Yeah, it's the emotion that's felt yeah. in relation to, to what you do. And I think culture is the same. And so I like the honest approach that you're taking of just surveying what's said because what's said is what is. And if we can reconcile ourselves with, with what is, we're way right. ahead of the curve. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming on here. As we come to a close, I have a, a parting question for you. And that is, what does it mean to you both to be an entrepreneur? What is the kind of the essence, the core of it, of what, what, keeps, of what drives you and keeps you stimulated as an entrepreneur? You are the entre entrepreneur. Okay. <laughs> what drives me is, is, is achieving. What drives me is competition. Mm. I love competition. I have so many wonderful colleagues outside the door and in that convention room that every day, I just love it. I love the competition. I love being part of the picture, but I love winning. I love to win. Mm. Okay. I love being part of the competition. I love to win. And uh, I know that's pretty simple. That, that's what drives me. You're getting me stoked just listening to you say <laughs> yeah. it, honestly. Yeah. And when you can look at it from numbers and, you know, I don't know what the rest of we're doing, but I focus on what we're doing. Yeah. You know, I can see us doing this and doing this and doing this. I sat next to two of my colleagues slash competitors during a panel the other day, and one of them acknowledged, he looked at me and said, you're my biggest competitor. And I said, no, I'm your colleague. There's a lot of business out there, but plenty for both yeah. of us. But I just, I love to win. I love competition and I love being new. Something new drives Staying me. Staying on the edge. Right on the cutting edge. Ah, oh, man, I love that about you. Taylor, are you, are you there yet? Do you identify as an entrepreneur? Has that ego, has that identity stuck to you? Yes, I would say... You know, Lyle is definitely the entrepreneur and looking at, you know, higher level of thinking, like where to go to next, definitely have that competitiveness. You know, mm. I want to be the best. Being in BDMs, when I know that so-and-so is speaking to my competitor and I win the sale, I'm like, I am awesome. She calls us, by the way. I will call and tell him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Got another one. Back yeah, another one. exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I want Nailed to it. Yeah. win. Yes, exactly. That's what she says. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what I think is interesting about working with family is that it's such a mixed bag. You just don't know how it's mm -hmm. going to go. Like being related to somebody, it's circumstantial. But in my experience, in my limited experience with you, I think you absolutely have it. That competitive drive, boy, that's nine tenths of it, you know? You got to have an average level of intelligence. I've never prided myself on thinking intelligence was like my differentiating factor. Smart enough. A uh, lot of hard work, but that drive to just keep keep on going. You said it well, and I'm excited to see what you guys are going to build. The future's bright and uh, appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you, Jordan. We appreciate you. Until next time. Yeah.